Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everybody? Happy Friday, and welcome into the All-NBA Show, part of the All-City Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Marez. Tim Legler, off today, had a conflict with the, the 70 different jobs that he somehow pulls off every single day. Couldn't pull it off today, but we found an equally tall replacement for him. We weren't going to go short <laughs> on the show. We are a heightest show, and we got Bleacher Report's Andy Bailey. Andy, how are you doing today? I'm great. I appreciate you... Uh reaching out. I know I've got big shoes to fill, but like you said, mine are pretty big, so maybe I'll be okay. <laughs> and people, if you're watching this, if you're listening to this and not seeing it, Andy Bailey has a nice Jonas Valanciunas impression going on right now with the great beard. I mean, I honestly, when you logged on, I thought that's who it was. <laughs> it's getting pretty unruly. I think my wife worked a minor miracle to like sort of contour the sides a little bit. I'm kind of digging uh, it. I like the chat is saying, wow, nice beard, Lex. <laughs> That's you can't tell. On the docket for today's show, we are going to talk. Last night's Thunder Jazz game was such a great game. I had to make it number one on our list. And then give some shout outs to some of the other performances last night, some surprise performances. And then in segments two, really the back half of the show, we're going to look at, we're at the halfway point. You start to look at seating. You start to look at where a team's going to line up. We're going to ask, who is the kryptonite for every team? What is the bad matchup relative to seeding for every team in the Western Conference that's in the playoffs? Which means we're not doing the Houston Rockets currently out. We're not doing the Golden State Warriors currently out. But we'll go 1 through 10 as currently seeded. Uh, but before we do, we are presented as always by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code ALLNBA. Because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Andy, we got to start with the game of the night. Thunder Jazz, what a game. You had one team in the Jazz who were riding a hot streak coming into this game have been playing great basketball. You have another team in the Thunder who have been riding a hot streak this entire season. They've been playing great basketball all season. And it lived up to the height. This is a game that came down to the wire. And the Thunder pulled out the clutch time win, 134-129. to 129. What stood out to you as you were watching this game? I agree with you. I thought it was an awesome game. Beginning to end, I mean, even, even when Utah got down, I think 19 early, yeah. I never really felt like they were out of it. And I guess that's kind of the theme of the NBA this season is nobody's, right. <laughs> nobody's ever truly out of a game. Um, but the thing that I think probably stood out the most to me from either team there's just sort of a poise to the Thunder. 
particularly with SGA and Jalen Williams, like nothing seems to rattle this team. Um, they've been that way all season. Utah yeah. is a pretty hostile place to play. And every time Utah made a run where it looked like they might kind of take over, I think they tied the game a couple of times, either SGA or Williams would just sort of calmly get to the spot they want to get to hit a 17 footer um, and just sort of steady things. And I'm just I'm so amazed at how poised and how under control that team is given that they're the second youngest team in the league. Yeah. That's a hundred percent what stands out when you watch him. And I mean, even Chet Holmgren, this was from week one in the NBA. He just has a calmness to his game where he seems to, it's just work for him. You know, like it, mm -hmm. it's easy when your job is work because it's like make, make or miss. I just have to go out there and play hard. And he's one of those guys, but you hit on, look, I've been rallying this battle cry for a while about Jalen Williams and his upside, but there's some specific things about him right now that are standing out. And that's his fourth quarter scoring. So, and, and so last night, I've been talking about this, how the Thunder will start the fourth quarter with Jalen Williams kind of ramping up his aggression. They'll take him out and put Shea in, and then Shea does his thing, and then they'll close with both of them. And it's this one, two, three punch that is so tough because the drop off from fourth quarter Jalen Williams, or I'm sorry, from Shea Gilgis Alexander to fourth quarter Jalen Williams isn't really a drop off, especially after the <laughs> last month. Jalen Williams has been as good of a fourth quarter performer. And let me give you the numbers. Quarters one through three, this is uh, uh, thanks to a positive residual on Twitter, a very good analytics account. He tells me, so quarters one through three, Jalen Williams has a 20% usage and 60% true shooting. That's really good, by the way. In the fourth mm -hmm. quarter, he it goes up to 28% and a 70% true shooting. So he both ups his aggressiveness, his usage percentage, and his efficiency in the fourth quarters. And this wasn't true of the first, I don't know, 15 games of the season, but over the last 20 or so, it's become increasingly an identity of this team that Jalen Williams goes in and knocks you off balance. Shea comes in and knocks you out. That was the script last night. It played out perfectly for OKC. Yeah, those those numbers you just rattled off, like 28 usage and 70 true shooting percentage is impossible yeah. <laughs> stuff. I mean, that's like Jokic level production. That's That's truly bonkers. And I don't really have like a good dividing line for Jalen Williams season, but I just picked the last 15 games for the heck of it. That's 22 points, 22 points, six assists, um, four rebounds, shooting 64% from the field and 61% from three. 61% no, from three? It's crazy. <laughs> he's not going to maintain that all season, obviously, and it's not like super high volume um, on those three-point attempts, but he just – he's been a machine – lately and I think it's understandable that SGA and Chet get most of the attention or have gotten most of the attention to this point of the season um but he's he's I mean does he have an all-star case I know we didn't really talk about bringing this up right. but I mean he's right. been ridiculous this season it might be one year early on that but Probably. I think it's worth the conversation just because the the first you know 15 games of the year he wasn't bad by any means but it was more you know, within the system that they were playing. It was Shea's team and then him. But I think lately you start to look at it and go, over the last 20 games, let's just say 20 games, how many teams have had a third best player be the, the best player on a given night as frequently as Jalen Williams has been? Because over the last 20 games, I think he you could make a case that he was the best player six or seven times. And it's not like Shea's playing bad. This isn't one guy's play. Yeah. Shea's playing great. 
It's just Jalen Williams has been that good in a handful of games, and he's great. He's good every night, and he's been great a handful of them. So I think that's the thing you look at, and it really does. I know this is the obvious comparison, but it really does remind you of a James Harden where those numbers you just rattled off, 22 points, the only reason it's not 26-27 is because he's unselfish and he's like fitting into right. the team and this or that. So I, I just couldn't be higher on, on Jayla Williams. I was high on him a month ago. I was high on him two weeks ago when we talked about him. I'm even higher on him right now. In terms – I don't think this comp really works in terms of style, but I have been thinking a lot about it the last few weeks. Does this Thunder team remind you at all of, of, of the one that went to the finals in 2012? So it's my memory is famously really bad in terms of splitting out the different like eras. So I, obviously I remember that finals run. What I don't remember is what was the success in 2010 and 20 in 2009? Like was this because the oh, Thunder haven't had any success, right? And mm -hmm. I remember that version of it at least feeling like there was a little bit more momentum towards that, even though it was it felt ahead of schedule. I remember there being at least some trials, whereas Oklahoma City hasn't really been through anything. That's why when That's you talk true. about a playoffs, you're really going from zero to 100 if you're picking them to go to the finals. That's a good point. Um, I guess the reason I asked that question, though, is I, I would not be shocked if they end up emerging from the West. I mean, they're that good right now. I would be a little shocked, and we'll get into it a little bit later when we talked about, um, you know, playoffs are so different, and if you have a, a weakness, no matter how many great, great strengths you have, if you have a weakness, then it's all about can we avoid that one weakness because you don't need to beat – sometimes in a playoff series, you don't need to beat a, a team 10 different ways. You just need to beat them one if they have no response for it. And I do wonder if the Thunder have that, some of it by design, just because they're not really thinking – championship at the moment too hard you know thinking about too much so they haven't plugged all the holes on their roster but we'll see i mean they their learning curve if nothing else their learning curve is ridiculous um and right. utah like utah has gotten some big names under their belt over this little hot streak they were on so that was no yeah. small win to go into utah and to survive the comeback the way that you were talking about the other guy that needs a shout out here oh by the way i have one more Jalen williams and this is a funny one but it's it's real you're a, you're a fellow tall guy. So you tall guys, I feel have the most height based opinions because it's like, you know what? We know what it's like to be big. <laughs> I think that height is the dumbest measurement for, for basketball. Height is very misleading. And the guy who's the ultimate representation of this to me was Hilton Armstrong. You remember Hilton Armstrong back in the day, UConn yeah. center, UConn. That, yeah. That was a six, five center who just happened to have the longest neck in the world. And so it was like, <laughs> hey, he's a center, you know? You look yeah. at Jalen Williams, that guy has no neck. And I and he has the longest arms, he's got this great wingspan, he plays bigger than his height. And you watch him and you go, yeah, this guy's like 6'9". He just happens to have no neck, so he's listed at 6'5 or 6'6". Six, six. But he's actually significantly taller than his height. I love that point. Uh, you mentioned <laughs> that before we went on the air and I chuckled when I saw it. I, that's brilliant um i i will say that he does play a lot bigger than he's listed that's for sure both of those guards that we just raved about him and sga the way they can knock people off balance get to their spots um they're they're just a blast for me to watch right now if he had hilton armstrong's neck he'd be 610 like they, they, people would be like is he a center we don't know like so i it's just that's why height there's a lot of players in the nba who have these like features that make them misleading about how tall or are small we, they actually are are we going to see like a tiktok video about a neck extension surgery 
coming up pretty soon. <laughs> he doesn't need it. Somehow it's helping help him out. Um, yeah. The other guy that deserves a shout out last night, Casey Wallace, man, career high 16 points, four or five from three. I, one of the things about covering the whole league, you don't see every night, so you are prone to bias of the games that you happen to catch. I feel like every game I catch of the Thunder, Case and Wallace plays great. So I watched this guy last night. I'm just impressed with the way he plays. The fact that he closes and plays some of these benchmen, he starts and then closes. Um, he just to me looks like a really good player on the come up for them. What do you do? You have a Case and Wallace take? I totally agree with you. Um, unlike a lot of, I mean, and he's in a nice situation for a rookie. Sure, a lot sure. of rookies, I think, kind of like overextend themselves. Um, it takes them two or three years to figure out you know, this specific thing is how I'm going to make my impact in the NBA. And he hasn't, he hasn't really had to do that, but I don't think that should completely take away credit for not doing it. Um, He's, he has fit into a pretty limited role really well with this team. Uh, He's been a far better three point shooter than I think I expected him to be. Uh, And one of the other benefits of having Jalen Williams, uh, you know, small neck or not, and Shea Gilgis Alexander, you can start kind of an undersized guy like Casey Wallace, or I think even Lou Gensdort, you could argue is undersized. You can start them alongside those two uh, because they cover a lot of ground for guards or, or wings. So they've, I, the, the way that roster is built, the versatility, whatever, I, I think Casey Wallace fits it just brilliantly. He's, he's really good. And I'm kind of curious to see, I mean, you, they have so many guards, right? Even Vasa Micic, like who's playing well for them, which is a surprise to good. me. Yeah, because yeah. I thought they were going to have too many guards. And when I watched him with Team Serbia, which is my only real exposure to him, I was like, okay, this is a guy that clearly needs the ball in his hands. He's been great at the NBA level, you know, not dominating the ball. In fact, he's part of that killer lineup to start the fourth quarter. He's always out there with Jalen yep. Williams, and it's part of what makes that lineup so dynamic. So he's been great. They just have so many guards, and, you know, they'll probably have to make a decision. I think Josh Giddy's the guy they end up making a decision on eventually. Last night, 20 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists. He's playing great, and he's part of all of their best configurations. But if you just look at it, Kaysen Wallace might – and I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Kaysen or Kaysan, do you know? Good question. I do have his thing pulled up. You have his um, pronunciation guide? Is there, is there there's no pronunciation guide on basketball reference. Wow. Oh, what a bummer. So I don't know if it's yeah. – K- I apologize. I like to try to get people's names right. I don't know if that on that one correctly. Um, and then lastly, let's get to Shea. I have this graphic for you. Players to average 18 points per game and 64% true shooting. It's a small list. There's nine players. Two of them are on the Thunder. I mean, you look at this, it's bigs. Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, Sabonis, Markinen, Porzingis, KD. It's usually bigs who have a jumper of some type. And then you have two guards, Jalen, I guess two wings, Shea and Jalen Williams. Two of them on the Thunder putting up those kind of numbers. Again, this is why that one-two punch in the fourth quarter is so deadly. Is Once you just get knocked out by Jalen Williams, you get knocked out again by a guy that somehow makes the same shots. He came in and was just – Jalen Williams was phenomenal, and then Shea came in and was super clutch and hit some tough – some shots that if you're Utah and you're playing great and you're doing all those things, then Shea hits you with the turnaround jumper from the elbow, nothing but net, and you're like, well, we lost tonight. That's <laughs> We yeah. just have to take the L. Are you thinking of that jumper where he gets the ball back, end of the shot clock, like elbow yep. extended even, and he's yep. he's in his turn as he makes yep. the catch and just flings it up, nothing but net. Nothing um, you can do. It, it was an absurd shot, and it's not like you see him make shots like that. 
just about any time you tune in. And what's incredible about him, among you know many things, you've got the threshold for that graphic at 18 points, and yeah. that obviously gets Jalen Williams in there. Right, Shea's right. averaging 31. <laughs> 31 with that kind of efficiency is absurd. And I think it's fair to keep bringing up the caveat about how offensive numbers are different this season than really they've been in yeah. any previous era. Um, sure. I do think that's fair. But, and I keep I keep saying this in the, the power rankings, you know, whatever else I write for Bleacher Report, these guys do deserve some credit for <laughs> developing their skills to this degree. We just talked about that shot that Shea hit. Um, there are several shots a night in pretty much every NBA game I watch where I think, like, that would have just blown people's minds, you know, 20, 25 years ago. The shot yeah. making in the NBA right now is just absurd. But I think some of this, because you're right, Andy, that just the way defense is officiated and stuff, I rail about right. this stuff all the time because I hate it. It does inflate the numbers. But I think another thing that inflates the numbers is that these guys are really good at shots that people didn't used to take. And I think right. there's a new trend. If you bring that back up, Emma, let's look at this list again. Because you've got players that are like uh, Giannis. Okay, he's an outlier actually on this because he is a guy that dunk, like, mostly this is at the rim, right? It's power. But if you look at the rest of these guys, Porzingis, Durant, and Sabonis, Embiid, Jokic, Shea, and Jalen Williams, they have an incredible touch from secondary spots. So if the rim is your number one spot, the secondary spot for Jokic is like seven feet, right? This little floater yep. zone. Embiid, it's a 15-footer. Sabonis, there's a floater zone. KD, it's a mid-range. So they have, and then it's the same with Shea. Like Shea is so good at getting to spots that typically you feel like you did your job. You 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 forced him into a 11-foot jumper, but he's so good at 11-foot jumpers. And I just feel like that's a skill that, you know over the last five years has become increasingly valuable and the players that are good at getting to that spot and then elevating their defenses almost feel like, okay, we concede that Shane makes it every time, yep. especially in the clutch. It's like, that's a terrible shot to concede. Yep. He's, he's automatic from there. And I, I guess I feel like I've thrown both of their names into several sentences already. Um, but Jalen Williams and Shea are both so good at, you know, they get to a spot, they have like the little shoulder to knock a guy off balance without being an offensive foul. And they just rise up and hit it over and over and over. And they've, they've really sort of exploited that market and efficiency that you're talking about where defenses yeah. have gotten used to conceding the mid range shot, but right. they, they might have to rethink that in the next couple of years because these offensive players have figured out, okay, we can, we can kill you right there. It's kind of the difference to me between teams like the Suns and teams like the Thunder is that the Thunder can get all of their like team-oriented high-value shots, corner threes and kick-out threes, but they also will beat you in the clutch with the mid-range. I feel like Phoenix is bet banked on the mid-range being right. their first option. And so, it, you know, can they do the other stuff? We'll have to find out. We'll have to wait and, and see. Um, let's go to the other. Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say it's um... – OKC is a team that does a lot of the smart ball and player movement stuff for most of the shot clock. If they have to resort to the isolation or the tough shot in the mid-range with Jalen Williams or SGA, they will. I think Phoenix is a little too prone to – we're just going to go straight into the ISO because we know how good our guys are. We know that they can get their shot. And I think OKC just has a perfect balance of those two things. Um, let's go to the other side of this now and go to Utah. They've been on a nice little run here. I actually I, – I, I, I got to stop myself. A nice little run is so condescending. 
like, you know, covering a team in Denver, people used to always say this stuff. They have a nice little team, and it was such a, like, pat on the head. <laughs> this is a team that is playing really good basketball and has incredible depth, very well coached. And last night, Colin Sexton was the standout to me, in large part because I just think he's one of the ultimate competitors in the NBA. The guy plays so incredibly hard. And this was a game, to your point, where it felt like it was over. Some of this was just pure will from guys like Colin Sexton to get back into it. And in the clutch, he really – I'm not a big Colin Sexton guy, but I had to tip my hat to him last night. Yeah, he's he's gotten a lot better um, since he was traded to the Utah Jazz. I think this season specifically, his shot die has gotten smarter. Um, you know, less contested mid-range jumpers. We just talked about how good those are for guys like – SJ and Jalen Williams, but there are still plenty of players where it's it's like, you know, that's probably not a great part of your game. And I think he's gotten smarter about cutting that stuff out. Uh, I think one yeah. of the biggest differences um, is his passing. I mean, I for years, the first few years of his career, I kept thinking, like, is this guy a point guard or is he a shooting guard? Right. I love his competitiveness, like you said. But I thought, you know, he's 6'2", 6'3", shoot first guy. Is he just right. going to be the next, you know, Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams? This season, he is at, he's by far his highest assist rate. I think I just, I just looked it up. I think it's like six and a half assists per 75 possessions, which is a pretty good number, um, especially for a shoot first guard. And I think balancing, you know, his shot selection with passing, um, he's, he's really transformed, I think, his offensive game this season. 33 assists for the for Utah and you know Sexton obviously leading the way with seven you get six from Chris Dunn another guy who sort of has bounced around hasn't quite made it I just think they have a lot of good culture guys on that roster even Jordan Clarkson has like bought into the culture out there which I think is incredible Fontecchio I got to give him a shout out uh last night I thought he had some really good moments and then the guy that I think deserves the biggest shout out is Walker Kessler what an interesting mm -hmm. arc he has being such a high pick, the Rudy Gobert replacement, now he's off the bench. They're bringing him off the bench, but playing him sort of as a starter. You know, he got 24 minutes last night, same as John Collins. But he's been phenomenal off the bench, and it's working for them to bring in this, like, secondary identity when he checks in. Yeah, he's been awesome. And, you know, there were rumblings about Utah shopping John Collins already. And he's right. he's only been there for half a season. And it just didn't seem like it was working. And I think it was kind of a stroke of genius for Will Hardy to start him at the five. And it takes, I think it takes some humility on the part of Walker Kessler to say, you know, we need to get this guy going. Maybe he'll be better at, at my position. Uh, maybe that'll right. help him. And I'm still going to come in and be a game changer off the bench. And right. that's exactly what he is. Utah's such an interesting team because they have a bunch of different guys who play like 20 to 25 minutes. And depending on who's out there, they're like a, a radically different team. Like, obviously, Walker Kessler is a much different five than John Collins is. And I think that can kind of throw teams off balance. And I, I think that's what it did to OKC last night. I think Kessler's defense around yep. the rim was a big part of their comeback. Uh -huh. um, so they're they're a good team at mixing up looks. You know, they could they could have a random guy go off on, on various nights. And I think that makes them pretty – tough it certainly has the last month or whatever it's been last night i only have two more notes on this last night one of the funniest things happened in this game and that was that there was a ball that went out of bounds in the final minute of the game ball went out of bounds referees didn't see it so they called jump ball oklahoma <laughs> city mark dagnott challenged this call and won 
It was actually out on his team. <laughs> but, he, but he won the challenge by giving the ball to the opponent. It was So he retains his challenge and his timeout, which is hilarious, but gave the ball away instead of a jump ball. So I, I just had never seen that before where you win the challenge but lose the war. Win the battle you but still lose, lose the, the ball. Yeah. yeah his possession. That was funny to me. I have a question for you about challenges. Um, okay. My, my first thought when he made that challenge is – should the refs and and other people may have a different Ooh, opinion than me on that specific play because I I thought Chet Holmgren fouled Walker Kessler yeah. on that play I think he did and and it looked pretty clear I mean his arms come down he's he's hitting him pretty good should the refs be able to even though they're not they're not specifically being told to check on the foul should they be able to make that call in real time It's a really good question I think it opens up probably a bigger can of worms um, if you do that. I am, the longer we do challenges, I have become more anti-challenge. And I think my solution to this would be, I want challenges in the playoffs because that's when it actually matters. And I think you have a better patience tolerance in the Mm -hmm. playoffs because you're like, I want to get this right. You sit down to watch a playoff game, three hours is nothing. I don't mind three-hour game. In the regular season, it's volume. You just want to be entertained, and the games matter right. a little bit less. So for me, I don't mind the challenges in the playoffs, but I would get rid of them because even last night, it was such a good game and such a good finish, and spending all that time on the challenge, to me, kind of took some of the wind out of the sail. And then for it to go the way it went, I was just like, this is so ridiculous, man. Because <laughs> you're right. You review it. You see the foul. Then who's it out on? It's actually out on the other team. Right. I thought the whole thing was a bit of a circus. Not um, to not to get us so. too far out on a tangent here, but – the other thing about challenges to me, I'm with you. I think they take too much time. They take up too, they take away too much rhythm from the regular season. The referee um, who announced the decision at the end of that play said, we heard from the replay center that it would be this. And I've been saying for years, like, what if they just made the replays like 15 seconds from the replay center, you pipe it into an earpiece in the ref and you just move on. To me, it seems like you should be able to do that. I don't. I'm sure there's a reason the NBA doesn't want to do that. But you're right. There's nothing worse than a challenge that is obvious that takes two minutes and a commercial break right. and everything else. And you're like, we know the outcome already here at home. We can right. see the clear outcome, yeah. and it still takes forever. So I'm with yeah. you on all on all of that. The last thing I have here, Utah Jazz. They're on this run. They're in the play-in right now and climbing, which is really an, an, an interesting. And you see teams like the Lakers now, you know, falling behind them. Their upcoming road trip is going to reveal a lot. They actually have played the most games of anyone in the NBA now. So they have one of the easier schedules from this point on, but they have a very tough week and a half at Houston, at New Orleans, at Washington, at Charlotte, at Brooklyn, and at New York. I hate, I swear this happens to the West Coast teams more than anyone. Two games in the South, one game in the Northeast, one game back in the South, two games back in the Northeast. It's not just that it's a six-game road trip. It's that for some reason you go back and forth, north-south, north-south, which I just hate. But nonetheless, they have a very tough upcoming stretch that I feel if you can get out of this at four and two, and there's some duds in there, right? Like some of these teams are not necessarily great. Washington, Charlotte, Brooklyn in particular. So if you can somehow get out of that three and three or four and two, I would actually like their chances to upset a team and make it into the play-in. What do you think? I totally agree. When I when I looked at that upcoming road trip for the Jazz, I thought, you know, obviously it's it's brutal and like you said they're bouncing around a lot. But having the Wizards, Hornets and Nets in the middle there, yeah. That's actually a little bit of an opportunity. I mean, I think they should beat all three of those teams. Brooklyn I think is a little better than they've shown over the last month or so, but they've also 
you know, wins and losses wise have been terrible for three or four weeks and Utah has not. So, yeah, I think, I think they can emerge from this road trip, something like three and three. And if they do, I, they're, they're in pretty good shape. Like you said, their remaining schedule is a little bit softer um, than it has been to this point. And I, I think they should probably stay in that play in mix for the rest of the season. And, and the teams that are near them that are sort of our legacy inclusions in the playoffs, like the Lakers yep. and the Warriors, Yep, man, it's hard to trust either one of those teams right now. A hundred percent. And then you could even say the Rockets are the other team you're competing against. I think you can beat the Rockets. The Rockets can't win on the They're road off. this year. So, yep. and, and they've fallen off. So um, that's that. All right, let's take a break. On the other side, we'll get to our headline. Oh, wait, I got to give a couple quick shout outs, actually. Quick shout outs from last night because we didn't get to them. Jalen Brunson goes for 20 points in the fourth, 41-8-8. Eight eight. People have been asking, like, does he deserve – you know, I saw a thing today. Who deserves more fringe off uh, MVP credit, Jalen Brunson or Donovan Mitchell? This one's so easy for me. It's Jalen Brunson. I, I, I'm curious if you feel the same way. I don't think. Look, fringe MVP just means like who gets to be say. included, <laughs> like who gets to be that last line and honorable mention or whatever. But nonetheless, yeah. Jalen Brunson to me has had an underrated season. He has been ridiculous. Um, a stat that I found on him while I was writing the power rankings last night, he's already like sixth or seventh in New York Knicks history in total for 40 point games after getting <laughs> to 40 well, last night. And again, we, we have to have the caveat yeah. about era. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's a numbers. different game than it's been in the past, but New York is a storied franchise with a lot of like high profile scorers like Carmelo Anthony and Bernard King. And he's already flying up that list. I think he's been ridiculously good. I think the Kyrie and, Jalen comparison at this point, um, that's got to yeah. make Dallas Maverick fans <laughs> pretty annoyed. So um, true. I, I think if I had to make a gut call on those two, I would probably go Brunson as well. Um, although the way that Donovan Mitchell and Jared Allen have been playing since Mobley and, and Garland went down is pretty amazing to me too. Uh, yeah. I, I think I will go Brunson, but I it's probably pretty close without you know diving into the numbers. Right. Bruce Brown made his debut last night, a surprise debut, and I just thought he was phenomenal in that game. He made some clutch fourth-quarter plays, ran the pick-and-roll, played the dunker spot. Um, I just thought I'd give him a shout-out because I thought it was cool that he actually played. The, the Raptors, after the game, said we weren't sure he was going to play, and he wanted to. And I just love in the era of guys sitting out because of ice or because of ailments or because of rest. You had a guy that flew internationally the day of and said, no, suit me up, man, why not? Honestly, that's pretty amazing. I mean, the trade just went down the day before. I mean, even yep. even before the load management era, I don't know how many turnarounds were yep. as quick as that one. Um, he's going to be a really interesting name between now and the trade deadline. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to be uh, interested in him. He's going to the 76ers, and it's going to break my heart. Shout out to the Grizzlies for three quarters of basketball. They did not complete. This was that drawing of the horse where it tails off at the end. They were right. horrible in the fourth quarter. But a team that had all reasons to kind of phone in a tough game at Minnesota made it a game. They lost the fourth quarter by 20. But shout out to them for three very good quarters. Sante Aldama. Shout out to him. And then the Pacers did complete the, the horse drawing in their yeah. shorthanded. They did not have any of their top you know guys who were waiting on the Siakam debut, which had happened tonight. But TJ McConnell and Jalen Smith both go for double doubles. That's right. Jalen Williams and TJ McConnell both had a double double in a big <laughs> uh, a big win over the Sacramento Kings. Sacramento Kings, man. They might be the drawing They're of the kind horse. Of a mess. 
they, they're the drawing of the horse this season so far, right? Like right. The, the, it's dropping off here at the very end. So they are a mess. All right, let's take yeah. a break. So we got to get to our main topic, which is, of course, who are the kryptonite teams for every one of the Western Conference challengers? This isn't even contenders. This is just all the teams in the top 10. Everybody has a matchup that is a little scary for them. And this was a fun exercise to do. So Andy and I are going to talk about that, maybe even debate it on the other side. But first, I got to tell you, the NBA is in full swing. And when I can't get enough of the action on the court, I spice things up by betting on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This is, by the way, like if you're sitting at home with a good slate of NBA games, or a slate of NBA games maybe that you're not so interested in, but you want to be entertained, throwing down just 5, 10, 20 bucks, whatever it is you want to gamble, whatever your units are, throwing it down on one of those games to give you a little uh, intri intrigue, that's one of the most fun things you can do. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 and $200 instantly in bonus bets, whether you win or whether you lose. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code ALLNBA. New customers bet $5, get 200 in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 878-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 older age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Also, the weekend is here. If you don't have plans, Download the Game Time app right now. Use code ALLNBA because you'll get $20 off and you can pick any event. Maybe it's a concert. Maybe it's a game, college, or pro. You're going to find tickets on there with the best deals. They even have those flash deals. So it gets Friday right at work. Maybe you're listening to the show. It's about 4 o'clock. Work's almost over. You don't have plans. Hop on the Game Time app and see. Maybe tickets to the event in your neighborhood has just dropped. You can go check out a game with the lowest prices guaranteed. They also have that all-in pricing feature, so you're not surprised by a $50 fee at the end at checkout that totally ruins your plans. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code ALLNBA. Very important. Use the code for us, ALLNBA. You get $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code, ALLNBA, for $20 off. Download the GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. All right, back here on the All-NBA Show, rounding out the week with Andy Bailey filling in for Tim Legler. And now, Andy, we are going to look at the teams in the Western Conference and ask, who is the kryptonite? What team is the kryptonite for every single team? We're going to go in order of seeding. So that means we're going to start with the Minnesota Timberwolves, the number one seed in the Western Conference. They have a two-game cushion, actually, on the one on the one seed. Who do you think is their kryptonite? Well, I like your choice, but I'll, I won't spoil it for you. Um, and <laughs> funny enough, I think I, I might do the inverse when we get to this team and say that they're each other's kryptonite in a weird way. Um, and I'm going to kind of spam the nuggets. Um, Minnesota's, I think one of their bigger advantages is their size. And... I think the team that easily match, not easily, but the team that can match their size and their, you know, toughness inside is the Denver Nuggets. Um, Minnesota has more bodies to throw at Nikola Jokic than most other teams do. No uh, question. He can also, he can also neutralize that advantage that they have. Jokic can. Um, and I think Aaron Gordon, I, I think one of the cool things about him over the, over his entire time with Denver 
in a lot of ways, functionally, he has kind of become a center for the Denver Nuggets. The way right. that he, you know, ducks in, guards bigger guys, finishes around the rim. Um, so I think those two guys can can kind of neutralize that advantage that Minnesota has. I think Denver's depth inside <laughs> is a problem, um, especially when you compare it to Minnesota's depth. But that's that's one of the bigger, tougher front courts in the league. And I think if you're going to neutralize Minnesota's you know, size advantage, maybe Denver's a team that can do that. What's so interesting about that for me is that I went the other way on Denver. They're good. Minnesota's going to show up when we get to Denver as a scary matchup for them. And look, Denver beat them in five games. Denver, Denver beat them in five games last year, but no Jaden McDaniels, no Nas Reed, and those guys are huge, specifically huge against Denver because it gives you another defender on Jamal Murray, which is one of the, you know, one of the heads of the snake. When you talk about beating Denver, you got to get Jokic and Murray neutralized. Um, but the team that I went with was actually the New Orleans Pelicans, and you know when I prep for these shows, I'll reach out to different beat reporters and, and just say, hey, what do you? What's your sense? Both of the guys I reached out to, John Krasinski and Dane Moore, both mentioned the Pelicans. And this has been a matchup that this year, they're 2-2 two and two against them. But when Zion has been healthy, that front core, you talk about neutralizing you know, the strength of the Minnesota Timberwolves, they're really good inside as well. Valanciunas is not good against every team, but they don't have the shooting, in my opinion, to really take him off the court. So now you have a big who can go inside and just play big physical basketball, maybe draw some fouls. And then you have Zion, who is both big, but not the type of clunky big that you can say, okay, right. we're going to go tip for tat. You have a mobile big that now you have to have Carl Anthony Towns guarding, or you're going to have to have Nas Reed spend minutes on. Those guys just, that's not their strength. In fact, that's their, that's their weakness. So for me, what's interesting about this one is, if it is New Orleans, that's one that you start to look at the standings and go, all right, well, New Orleans, right now they're a five seed, but it's razor thin between them and an eight seed. Minnesota's a one seed. That would That's a potential first-round matchup that I would look at and say that would not be a typical one-eight if those two teams matched up. For sure. And I one thing I thought about is, as you sent me the rundown for this is I'm not sure how many typical one-eight matchups we're going to have this year. This feels yeah. like one of those years in the West where – you could throw all these teams in a hat, shake it up and pull them out and have a competitive series with any of these eight teams. Like I, I think the West one through nine or 10 is, is pretty darn stacked this season. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the number two team, the Oklahoma city thunder. They're 28 and 13. Who did you pick for them? And you could have the same one as me. We don't have to disagree on everyone. <laughs> um, I think off the top of my head, I'm going to go Minnesota for OKC because a lot of what we already talked about, they have a ton of size, they have depth in the yeah. front court. And even even OKC's starting center, Chet Holmgren, you know, he's obviously long and he's a big guy. Um, but in a lot of ways, he allows them to play small ball. Um, he's he's almost more right. of a small yep. ball five than like a traditional five. Totally. And so I think a team like Minnesota could just hammer them on the boards and and that would be a big issue for them over the course of a seven game series. And they don't have a ton of depth behind him. I mean, they're, they're really the only backup big I can, who else do they play besides Jalen Williams? Um, the other Jalen Williams behind Chet Holmgren. Right. There's been right. a lot of buzz about OKC trading for a big before the deadline. And maybe that helps them in this discussion, but as constructed right now, I think they're going to have a hard time with big teams and obviously Minnesota's a big one. 
So the team I went with for them, because I'm on the same wavelength as you, that to me it's size. And this is the one thing mm-hmm. we talked about about them. Teams with size. I love that you put their kryptonite is the thunder. Oklahoma City, their kryptonite is themselves. No, their their kryptonite being the Lakers on this one. And I would have Nuggets, Kings, Minnesota are all teams that I think are intriguing. And I know a lot of people are going to look at this and say, um, you know, Thunder are two seed. Don't sleep on them. Don't underestimate them. And you're right to say that. I was like I said, I was in this position a long a long time with the Denver Nuggets, where they'd be great in the regular season. Everyone would discount them, and the discount always comes from a knowledge and understanding that the playoffs are different. And it's not that you necessarily doubt Oklahoma city. It's just that you say, we don't know it's different. When you get there, do you have a weakness? And for them, it's clearly interior is a team going to be able to bully them physically. Um, And then can your strengths that scoring out on the perimeter, that dribble drive game, can that mitigate it? So for me, it's the Lakers. And the reason I put the Lakers is Anthony Davis. First of all, they beat them this year in some high profile games. And then, Anthony Davis is big and strong enough to bother Chet Holmgren, but mobile enough to not be bothered by guarding Shea Gilgis Alexander and Jalen Williams right. as well as as well as anyone can. Right? Nobody's. I'm not saying he stops yeah. him, but at least you could throw that. And then LeBron James, same thing. LeBron James is so much stronger than even Jalen Williams, who's really strong. He's so much stronger than the players they want to be able to play at the four and at the three that I just think that you're going to have a strength of the Lakers go up against the weakness of the Thunder in a way that I'm not sure there's an adjustment there because you're talking about physical adjustments. You can't make a guy bigger. So that's that's why I went with the Lakers. And yeah, by the way, another matchup you might get in the first round. That might be a 2-7. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's move on now and go to the Denver Nuggets. Who do you got? Well, I kind of telegraphed this yeah. already, um, saying that they might kind of be each other's kryptonite but um the timberwolves have a bunch of different bodies they can throw at nikola Jokic. um brother i have 47 is one of my favorite like <laughs> nba <laughs> clips ever so Jokic has obviously had his moments against rudy gobert but i thought gobert actually did a pretty good job against him in the playoffs last season uh they got a bunch of guys they can switch off onto him and bruce brown famously said he thought that was their toughest yep. series. And I don't know if he was like needling some of the higher profile teams. Um, I'm, I generally take him at his word on that. It, it was a competitive series. And like you said, just a minute ago, they didn't have um, Jane McDaniels. They didn't have Nas Reed and those guys, they can, they can change the complexion of a series. I think if those two meet again, it's, it's going to be even more competitive than it was last time around. No question about it. To me, this is, I know, you know, watching Denver, they're in a sleepwalk mode right now through the regular season. You can sit in the way that they play. But the Timberwolves just match up with them. Right. Um, Jokic versus Rudy Gobert, I like that matchup. Jokic versus Rudy Gobert and all the length that they have around them and, you know, Carl Towns that you could throw on. Like that to me is where it gets really tricky. And they have a coach mm-hmm. who's familiar with them. You have Jaden McDaniels and Nikhil Alexander-Walker that you could throw on Jamal Murray. We saw Nikhil Alexander-Walker have an impact on Jamal last year in the playoffs. This year, that's your secondary Jamal defender. You throw another guy on him. So to me, I just look at them and I think that's a really good team. And if those two teams matched up, I actually think it would be closer to a coin flip. I think a lot of people would pick Denver just on legacy, you know, defending champs. Yeah. Minnesota hasn't been there. But to me, I look at it. First of all, if they match up, it's almost certainly in the conference finals. They'll be more experienced by the conference finals than they will have been in the first right. round like they were last year. 
So I look at that one and I go, I think that's a coin flip series. And it would probably come down to things like how do Jaden McDaniels and Nikhil Alexander Walker shoot? Because I think that's your fears. Can you score consistently? And then just the others like Denver's bench. Are you going to be able, is Nas Reed going to go crazy in the eight minutes Jokic is on the bench every game? It's entirely possible because Denver yeah. doesn't have somebody for him when Jokic's not on the court. The only um, other thing on that matchup too is um, that I, there's no great answers for Anthony Edwards either, really on any roster, but but certainly on Denver's. He he had an absurd yeah. series uh, last time out. Yep, and Aaron Gordon is probably playing bigger, so you're not you're not taking him off of like Carl Anthony Towns or or Gobert right. wherever he's matched up. You have to have him there. Um, let's go to the Clippers. Who do you got? I'm going to go with the Nuggets, and like I said, I might kind of spam Jokic because nobody really has an answer for him, but I really don't think the Clippers have an answer for him. I think he's traditionally done pretty darn well against Avika Zubats, who figures to be their their starting five. And I think in theory you can say we've got a lot of big bodies we can throw at him too with Mason Plumlee and, and Daniel Tice is now there. Um, but I, I think he just picks them apart from the inside uh, the way that he has in, in many matchups over the last several years. Um, it's kind of a, it's kind of a torn down easy answer with, with Jokic because it's easy to say that nobody really has an answer for him. But I think that's especially true with the Clippers. I think it's less true than ever because Zubats. Okay. Because of those other guys. Zubats is there. Yoke's going to go off against him. Like he goes off against a lot of guys. But now that you have a Plumley to throw against him, again, is Plumley going to stop Jokic? Absolutely not. But what you have to survive, when we think of two playoff series for the Nuggets over the last handful of years, the ones that come to mind with this specific regard were one, were the Clippers, where where did they really lose that series? In the minutes that Montrez Harrell had to come onto the court. Because there's one thing to say, okay, it's a bad matchup, we just got to we're going to give up a couple points here versus getting completely obliterated on 20 to five runs because you can't stop them. So now you go from a Montrez Harrell to a, in years past to now a Mason Plumley and even a Daniel Tice. Den- Yoke's going to beat those guys, but I don't think you're going to go on 20 to five runs in those stretches the way Denver used to. So I think it's a tougher matchup for that reason. The Clippers matchup to me is, is the Timberwolves. And the reason I say the Timberwolves is, they have the perimeter defense defenders and rim protection to make their ISO game hard. I think if you're worried, if you're a Timberwolves and you're worried, it might be pick and roll defense. Is Gobert going to be able to stay on the court? But they're not a team that loves outside of Harden that loves to do a ton of pick and rolls. You want to get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George isolated a lot and playing those games. And they just have a lot of guys that you could throw at them and say, hey, again, you're not stopping them, but you're going to just take off 10% of their efficiency. I think they have enough guys to do it. Yeah. I like that pick. I think, I think again, Minnesota is going to be tough for a bunch of different people because of their size and, and they can play different ways with all those wing defenders that they have. Let's go next to Dallas. Now you're getting to the underdog team. So I know there's like, you could always throw the favorites out here, but I just was wondering the most specific ones. If we go to Dallas, I picked the Clippers. I'll go first on this one. I picked the Clippers and the reason is, Look, it's all about Luka, right? If if Luka has a bad series, you're losing. They have a lot of guys to throw at him. I know he has haunted them in the past, and so there might even be people laughing about this. Luka's gone off against the Clippers. He's humiliated them. But they have more guys than ever, and I don't know that Dallas is going to have the defense to even slow the Clippers down. So this becomes a shootout, 
And if Dallas isn't at 100% in their shootouts, if Luka's not 100%, meaning he's being slowed down by good defenders, then I'd take the Clippers in that shootout. Dallas is one of the harder teams for me to, like, get a handle on this season. And maybe it's because Kyrie has missed so much time. Um, Luka missed a little bit of time after Kyrie came back. They they haven't and, – and this sounds kind of crazy to say um, – that Dante Exum is now so important to that team that like his absence kind of throws me off too. Um, I think the Clippers is a good pick there. I think they're another team that could struggle with size. So I, I could probably default to the Timberwolves again. I know Derek Lively has been really good for them this season, especially for a rookie. Uh, but I think, I think their interior gets pretty thin, pretty fast. Um, you know, so if a guy like Derek Lively gets in foul trouble, suddenly you're relying on, Dwight Powell, maybe you play Maxi Kleba at the five. Like I, I think they're a team that could get overwhelmed by size. So that 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 brings up the Lakers, the Wolves, the Nuggets, like those teams that can really bully you inside. I think will be tough for the Mavs. Let's go now to Sacramento. This one's a fun one. Sacramento, I'm I hate to say it because I don't like to be the guy that doubts teams like Sacramento, but I doubt them so much. They're on a they're on a tailspin right now. And the team that I don't think they're going to match up just because these they, they might match up in a play-in, but they're not going to match up in the actual playoffs. But to me, it would be New Orleans. New Orleans, first of all, they're 4-0 against them this year, and some of those were beat-down wins. This is a team that has a lot of, like, you know, you go with Sabonis, you need to have that ability to play that style. He gets bullied a little bit by that front court, by that front line. Right. Um, so, so to me, that's a matchup that if they – again, this is more of a likely to be a play-in matchup. But if you're the Kings and you're hanging on by a thread and you match up in the first round of the play-in with, with New Orleans, I just think that's a tough break. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and Sacramento, despite their record, I don't – what are they now, 23 and 18 or something? Um, they were more games over 500 a couple weeks ago. But even then, I, I would look at stuff like their net rating against top 10 opponents – um, just their net rating in general, like their, their record was way better than the numbers suggested they'd be. Um, their defense, I, I think is very suspect. A team like the Pelicans, I think would tear them apart. I think that's a good pick. And, and when you mentioned the Pelicans, did we skip them as we were going through your rundown? The Pel- did I skip the Pelicans? Oh, I did. You know, what? we'll backtrack. <laughs> we'll back- Let's go yeah. to them. Let's hit the Pelicans real quick. I did skip yeah. them. My, my bad. No worries. Who do you got? Um, I picked the Mavericks there. They have the, – the Pelicans have a bunch of, like, switchy defenders like Herb Jones, Trey Murphy. Um, so I think they can bother the, 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 the Mavericks perimeter offense to a degree. But you have to hide C.J. McCollum on somebody. Mm. Like, if he has to guard either Kyrie or Luka, that's, that's a tough. huge problem. And maybe you can hide him on like Derek Jones Jr. or something, depending on Dallas's starting lineup is so all over the place that I don't, I don't know exactly who you could hide him on. But if it is Kyrie or Luka, that's a huge problem for the Pelicans. That's kind of a double-edged sword. This is like the Minnesota-Denver one that you threw out earlier to me, if you, if you say Dallas. Because Dallas, I mean, obviously if you're New Orleans, can anybody slow down Zion? Right. Who is that on Dallas? Right. I mean, maybe Grant Williams, who hasn't been very good this year, but it's almost as much as CJ would get dominated by either of those guys you just mentioned, Luca or Kyrie. I feel the same way about 
whoever they throw on Zion is there's just a no hoper in there. So that might be an ugly series for both teams. I I actually read, I didn't have a good one for new Orleans and I actually reached out to my new Orleans contact on this one and they threw out a couple teams, but the one I went with was nuggets based on just what they were saying. And this one's interesting because it hasn't necessarily, if you look at the regular season matchups, Tim and Legler and I all year have been raving about the New Orleans bench. They have dominated Denver's bench unit and staggered units. They have a deep team. In the playoffs, that depth becomes less important. So what was an overwhelming strength for New Orleans gets mitigated by the fact that Murray and Jokic are both playing 41, 42 minutes a game. You're probably not worried about playing Zeke Naji or DeAndre Jordan any minutes. You're just playing you know, Aaron Gordon. And then Aaron Gordon, not that anybody can guard Zion, but we have seen him in the past do a very good job on Zion. So Denver might be an interesting one. Again, I don't think this is as overwhelming. I think New Orleans would be a tough for Denver, but I do think that's a team that I just would count on Denver's experience and their dominance. And then there's some guys Yoke's unbothered by. Jonas Valanciunas. Valanciunas, yeah. Yoke has a handful of games against Big Val that are just like ridiculous numbers. He's, over the last he's, few years, I don't know what that what those numbers are, but uh, he's like averaging a triple double against them over the last several matchups. I'm pretty sure, like he he has dominated New Orleans. Larry Nance called it the single best performance he's ever seen, and he played with LeBron James for an entire season. I remember that, and he said that Yoke's dominance of them was the greatest performance he's ever seen. And by the way, you'd almost have to look up which one because he has a handful of them. Right. Um, if we go back, all right, we got three teams to get to now here. Phoenix, this is an interesting one. Who's their kryptonite? tonight? I think I'm going to go with the Thunder here. We we talked about Ooh. the comparison between these two a little bit earlier. I think the, I think the Thunder can overwhelm a lot of the older teams in the West in a similar way that those um, KD and Russ era Thunder teams did. They're just – they're so long, they're athletic, they play fast, and I think that's tough for older teams like the Suns. I also think if the games sort of break down into, you know, one-on-one, who who can who can win those one-on-one matchups, I don't know if there's many teams that are, that are more equipped to get into that with Phoenix than the Thunder are. Um, so this, this is, I think, in a way kind of similar to what I talked about with the Wolves and the Nuggets in that the Thunder, they can just kind of neutralize some of the strengths that the Suns have. Yeah. I went with, I, I for the same logic, by the way, I went with the Clippers. And Clippers-Thunder kind of have similar MOs, right? But I, I like mm-hmm. your pick. I think both of those two teams are interesting in that regard, in that for the Phoenix to win, they're not going to stop you. I would be so shocked if they stop anybody. I mean, I know we're only halfway through the year, but they're not. their defense yeah. just looks two or three pieces away from being a legitimate defense. Yep. So they're, but their offense, if you're banging on Phoenix, you're banging on them to be this transcendent offensive team, which by the way, they were last year in the playoffs, even like they didn't lose to Denver because their offense slowed down. They did lose game six because of that. You know, they let go of the rope, but games one through five, they scored. They just didn't score quite as well yep. as Denver did. And if you look at it, who can slow them down while still scoring? Yes. The thunder are one of them. Although the Clippers to me are the the number one team. If you look at that, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard going up against Katie and Booker. Um, and then you got Harden and Beal. Not that they necessarily have to guard each other, but you're just talking about they have the same scoring, but their guys, in particular Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, are a little bit more of two-way guys. Not even a little bit. A lot more of two-way guys than Booker and KD. 
And I just think that that's a series where you could see KD having a struggling in a series like that. You could see Booker have struggling in a series like that. So I think that that's a team. And then, then you get to the others. So if you just said the big threes on each team neutralize each other, Norman Powell, you know, some of the other options that they just kind of have around the periphery, I think are more likely to go off than the guys around the periphery for, for Phoenix. Um, and that's another one that might Phoenix be. A, a been, I, I was just going to say the periphery guys for Phoenix, that's, I think everybody kind of knew when they had that off season where they had to sign a bunch of minimum guys that this could be a problem. And it turns out it is a problem. Um, um, two more teams. Utah's kind of a funny one because they've only just recently come on. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a team? Look, a lot of matchups would be tough for Utah, I think. But is there a team that you think would be especially difficult? I picked the Clippers on this one. Um, there's so much offense on the wings for the Clippers. And I think you could even say that James Harden is like a wing-sized guard. Um, yeah. So that was a fairly easy call for me. I do think I do think Utah has some guys who compete defensively on the wing, like Fontecchio, I think, has been, like, fine as a defender for them. But you don't look at Simone Fontecchio and think that guy's going to slow down Kawhi Leonard or Paul George. And then some of their other wing defenders are just really small. Like, Colin Sexton has to play on the wing a lot. Jordan Clarkson has to play on the wing a lot. So I think they would get overwhelmed by the Clippers' offense, size, you know, all that stuff. I, that was the pick I had. I mean, Utah, look, you could probably list seven or eight teams. I think if they make it into the playoffs, they're probably going to be a, the weakest opponent. And that, and the, fine by them, right? That's a good. That would be a good step just to make it that far uh, and kind of figure yeah. out what you have. But they, they're they on a nice run in large part because of their depth. And, of course, in the playoffs, you're going to have to pick your seven or eight guys. And I don't know that they have a necessarily a, a seven or eight that match up with the other teams in the West. And lastly, so Utah was not our last team. We had to do one last one because they're so far down in the standings. The L.A. Lakers. I'm going to go with the Wolves for the Lakers. Um, it's a good one. Similar thing I brought up with some of the other matchups in that the Wolves, like we've said a couple times, one of the Lakers' strengths is that they're big and they can they can play big. They can play tough. They can bully you inside. But I'm not sure they're going to be able to do all that stuff against Minnesota with a front line that includes Gobert, Cat, and Reed. And then if you look at the difference in like size and athleticism on the wings for those two teams, um, Anthony Edwards is going to cause all kinds of matchup problems for that team. I don't, I don't know who you throw at him from the Lakers, and I think Jaden McDaniels causes some some matchup problems too. Um, so I, I think they check a bunch of boxes as far as being an opponent of the Lakers, that, that, that seems like it'd be a pretty quick series to me. I I like your pick. I went with nuggets and wolves. Um, but I think the more I think about it, I actually think wolves might be the tougher. I mean, look, the nuggets swept them last year. And when I reached out to some of my Lakers people, you know, they all said nuggets. I think there's a little shell shocking from the four Oh sweep last year. But the more you think about it, I think the Timberwolves do present, they need to play D'Angelo Russell, and at least at the moment, you know, on the roster, and uh, they need to play Austin Reeves. Those two guys, you need their offense. They're not going to be good defensively, but you need their offense. Mike Conley, uh, Jaden McDaniels, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, they have bodies to go out there. That's not superstars you're shutting down. Those are good players you're shutting down. Yeah. I, th- I actually think they can. If you told me, like, the series comes down to can those guys slow down D'Angelo Russell? Bruce Brown slowed down D'Angelo Russell. I think those guys can right. do it. Well, and one of those two guys is probably going to have to guard Edwards, too. 
I mean, that's right. that's an absolute yep. nightmare for the Lakers. Well, that does it. I, what I like about this experiment is that I honestly think every team has a kryptonite. There wasn't a single team that we went through and said they have no nobody that challenges them or matches right. up difficult. Now, there were some teams that you look at in the standings and go, okay, they're unlikely to face the team just in, because of the seating. But I think there's a real paper, rock, scissors, scissors in the Western Conference. And it's kind of fun to see, you know, all the different teams. Uh, yeah, I yeah. agree with that. And, and the only other thing I'll add, I said this earlier too, um, that there's just so much talent in the NBA and particularly in the Western Conference that I could see so many different matchups being competitive and, and really not not being an upset one way or the other. I mean, there's there's just so many good teams in the West right now. All right, we have to get out of here, Andy, as we do every Friday by asking who won the week presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Every week on Friday, we just look back at the last six days and say who won the week. I've got a couple nominees for you. We've got Joel Embiid comes back from injury, plays in a back-to-back, and completely dominates the MVP showdown against Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. I think he is a very strong candidate. The Cleveland Cavaliers continue to be on this heater that, uh, you know, how long is it going to run? They're, they're a candidate also for being the uh, best team or the hottest team right now. Jalen Brunson, like Embiid, comes back from injury and steadies the ship. He averaged, I think, 40 points or something over the week. And then the Utah Jazz. Yes, they lost last night in a thriller to the Thunder. But before that, they had some big wins under their belt. So those are my four. You want to pick one of those four guys? I think I got to go with Embiid. Um, and as as much as dominating Denver is a part of that, I think him playing in a back-to-back coming off injury is just as big for him. That's that's certainly not something that he's typically done over the last few years. And at this point, he probably needs to start playing in more back-to-backs if he's going to make that minimum game threshold to win MVP. So the fact that he, he played the way that he did and, and played that way in a back-to-back was huge to me. I think Embiid, we were talking about this with Legs the other day, the sweet spot for Embiid is to miss out on the games, but be the guy that would have won it had he right. not. Because he said yeah. last year, you know, there's guys in this league with two MVPs and no championships. They're the ones with pressure. It's almost a prophecy of himself now. If he right. wins a second MVP, <laughs> this playoff run becomes, you know, really tough for him. So I think if he That's misses true. it, and everybody says, yeah, it would have been Embiid, but it wasn't for that. He's in that sweet spot where you get the credit, but you don't necessarily get the pressure. Uh, it could be that. But he was phenomenal this week. Absolutely dominant the matchup everybody wanted to see, and he deserves it. Who won the week? Andy, thanks so much for uh, joining me today and filling in for legs. Great job, man. Big Man Alliance fully uh, <laughs> fully in check here on the All-NBA Show. Appreciate it. Thanks for me for having me, Adam. You're, you're as good as it gets in the podcast game, so I appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. Everybody, I hope you have a great, great weekend, some good games, and we'll see you on Monday.